0: Hi and welcome to the Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fall, Deputy Editor of Film and TV Craft at IndieWire. And today we are talking about I May Destroy You, first with costume designer Lindsay Moore and then director Sam Miller, as we go inside their collaborations with creator and star Michaela Cole in creating this incredible series. Really, really one of my favorites from this year. And this season of the Toolkit is being presented by HBO Max. The HBO series The Nevers takes place in August 1896. Victorian London is rocked to its foundations by a supernatural event which gives certain people, mostly women, abnormal abilities from the wondrous to the disturbing. But no matter their particular turns, all who belong to this new underclass are in grave danger. It falls to mysterious quick-fisted widow Amelia True, played by Laura Donnelly, and the brilliant young inventor Penance Deer, played by Anne Scully, to protect and shelter these gifted orphans. To do so, they will have to face the brutal forces determined to annihilate their kind. It's for your Emmy consideration for outstanding drama series and in all other categories and all episodes are streaming on HBO Max. And now for my conversation with I May Destroy You costume designer, Lindsay Moore.
1: I always get the scripts right at the beginning and with any job, they change massively from how, you know, by the time you get to a shooting script, it's changed. A lot evolves, you know, by the time there's discussions with directors, you know, rehearsals feed into things and, you know, as actors start exploring their characters, they tend to change and take shape and and as well with fittings so obviously I was in discussions with Michaela very early on which then starts a mood board process while I'll start showing images you know we'll be talking up things together and and sometimes you can see an image and know that that's not what you want and actually it can lead mm-hmm. you to what you do want and then you know she starts to see the character and then obviously having discussions with wigs that you start getting an idea of who she is and as well it's, it's discussing the kind of decisions what would be a thought process for that moment what would she be thinking why would she be wearing that and, you know, there's moments in the fittings that when she has an idea, like, oh, actually, this could be great for this. And I'm thinking of writing this. And suddenly this moment grows and she'll go and talk to Sam and, and vice versa. And the same with, with Bethany, the makeup designer. So it's a constant kind of fluid process where things are changing and ideas are coming all the time. And, and Michaela was writing throughout while we were shooting. So episodes were being changed while we were there shooting. Apologies for the noise. Um, no one. Yeah, so... As we were shooting, sorry, Michaela would be changing things, adapting scripts, and, and there was one, I think, number number six, I think was completely rewritten um, whilst we were shooting. So a lot of the time, like I said, it is a continual process and things do grow and change, and which can be chaotic <laughs> when you're trying to follow us, you know. We're trying like, Hold on a minute, no, we can't do that. We shot that in episode two. We need to follow some kind of continuity. But um, at the same time, it's, it's great as well because you get something that's really, you know, exciting i suppose and real you know because we're all having these discussions and say actually would it be this or would she be Mm -hmm. thinking this or maybe she's thinking this now Mm
0: -hmm. you know Uh, kind of taking that apart what what was some of the big the kind of starting points in terms of thinking of this character and, and and in terms of in terms of the wardrobe
1: so we knew obviously the script, the the kind of only indication of Arabella was this reference to pink hair. So we knew she was going to be creative. She was, there was going to be a playful element to her. But in terms of wardrobe, Michaela had said that she thought it might be quite nice to reference some nineties fashion. And we were looking at TLC and she said, I could sort of see like, it might be nice to do something quite high-waisted and, and belted up. And, you know, that's Basically, it and so from there it was then me presenting images and us looking together and talking and sort of seeing the things that we thought worked and and working out a colour palette for and saying okay if it's pink hair shall we stick to these kind of pinky bluey purple tones mm. that we can keep throughout the series and then obviously you know designing with that because we have to always think of the other two characters there's always Kwame there's always Terry in the scene so they're never you know. Arabella isn't just a lone person she's part of this group so we kept Terry's color palette completely different she was warm tones and then we kept Kwame's again his color palette's completely different it's a bit different with his because aesthetically his is a lot different to the to the girls but this kind of conscious effort to think about Arabella as, as a color and mm-hmm. also you know as a, as a style thing as as well. You know, her silhouette, which we really, you know, that was playful in the first fittings, you know, buying vintage shirts, tucking things in, working out how to loop the belt and felt like, okay, we've got something here. This is this is a signature look. And that's how we wanted Arabella to be this this person that, you know, she is her own person, has her own identity, something we haven't seen before. And. And tried to create something iconic, which isn't always easy and took a few fittings. You know, it, <laughs> it's just a lot of playing, but we got there in the end.
0: <laughs> you did, because when the when clothes start coming back, you're like, oh, you know, you start yeah. in the end. Um, you know, it's interesting to me because when I when I think of um, costume, I often think about it um, from two different perspectives. You know, one, the larger creative role that this is going to play in the in the storytelling you know, both in terms of color, in terms of character, and then there's also you often hear um, actors and actresses talk about that sense of becoming the character, of stepping in and 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 really kind of almost the wardrobe fittings and the clothing almost become part of part of the process and i'm curious about that because it really feels like um, in your collaboration with michaela maybe this is a case where it, it's wearing both hats right is that sense of like the process of becoming this character but also the bigger picture of her is, is the creative force in this is that or or is she very much separating those two or do they merge or you know i'm just wondering you know because i'm sure you've had collaborations on both sides of of what i'm describing right
1: yeah, I mean, it definitely merges. I mean, there's no way you can keep the two separate. You know, Michaela mm-hmm. is writing this and she's got her writing hat on, but at the same time she's also becoming the character.
2: Mm-hmm. So when
1: she steps into the fitting room, you know, she's she's like any other actor, she's becoming Arabella. Do I feel like Arabella when I wear this? You know, mm-hmm. does it feel like something... Does it feel right? And, and that's the same with any actor to you put things on them and sometimes they'll say like, this just doesn't feel right. And, and sometimes it's completely the opposite and they come alive and they're like, yes, this is it. I found the character. I know mm-hmm. who I am. And it can change anything. And it can be sometimes just a piece of jewelry. I've, I mean, I've done many shoots where actors have worn a necklace under their top every single mm-hmm. time, even though we never saw it. But it just helped them feel like they became that person. So with Michaela becoming Arabella, that was definitely key. And it was the belt, it was the boots, it was the bag, those things that she puts on every time that, you know, her character pieces that that help her as well, I suppose, take her writer hat off and become become this character and to not think about schedules and all the other things because it's tricky for her because she was doing many, well, playing many different roles in the production.
0: I also imagine it's moving, right? Because I feel like that, char- that character is constantly in movement. And so part of it's not even just, you know, I-, I imagine just walking around and feeling like, you know, the energy to a certain degree.
1: Absolutely. I mean, walking is so important. And this is why with fittings, it's amazing when you see an actor in front of the mirror because it's how they stand. It's suddenly how they move. And the character, you know, some costumes can make them move in a way that suddenly they're, they're gliding or that they're stomping around, which is perfect. Mm. Or, you know, it's either wrong or it's either perfect for a character. And with Michaela, it's these, you know, for Arabella, these heavy boots, this kind of punky attitude that really changed the way she stands. You know, Michaela was coming in wearing, I think she had like these little leather sort of mules on. And suddenly you put these boots on and it makes her stand. It gives her real sort of gravity and makes her stance and her shoulders come back. Like she feels powerful. Um and that's the same, you know, with the coat as well, the big fur coat, she put that coat on and it gave her swag immediately as she walked around the room. And, and then the things were like, okay, great, this is working. This is definitely where we need to go. Let's do more of this. And Mm -hmm. that other jacket we just tried didn't do it, didn't give you any swag. So, you know, and that, (laughs) a lot of the time that then shapes the, you know, the journey of the character. And and then from that fitting, I'll go away and think, okay, I need more of this and less of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it always amazes me in you know, a fitting and it's a shame no one else gets to come and see this that <laughs> this is how much people change and you know by putting on a piece of clothing
0: yeah
1: yeah um I
0: stop me if i'm going down a, a road that's not productive here but you know i, I talked to uh, sam a couple of days ago i don't even know when i talked i talked to sam recently and mm-hmm. uh, you know one thing i i'm i'm in new york well i'm not in new york now but I, you know that's where i live and you know he was this show has a very strong sense of place and time. And we were talking about the different parts of London and, and how that came alive. Help me understand a little bit in terms of um, the kind of the threesome of, you know, Kame, uh, Terry and Michaela in that sense of like modern London culture. And it I, was some of this, that sense of also defining who they are in terms of the clothes in like the way that a Londoner might recognize, Oh, which, which circles they travel, where they hang mm-hmm. out, what world they're part of,
1: sure, so that was a discussion at the beginning that this uh that I may destroy you was going to center around East London, and that's something we really wanted to show on camera is you know what East London actually looks like you know there's many productions on TV, many TV shows that show you different parts of London, different parts of England, but there's not really any that I think really show what East London's like. And it's a very creative part of London. There's lots of media types and arty people who live there and fashion people and there's lots of markets and people making their own clothes, wearing lots of vintage and having their own styles. And you can spot them walking down the street, sitting outside the coffee shop, all the arty people. And that was something I think we really wanted to show on camera. And obviously, within that, you've got the three different characters. You've got Arabella, who's played by Michaela, who is a social media type. Now, naturally, you think social media influencer, it's going to be someone highly trendy, following down the Kim Kardashian roots, the TikTok videos. But obviously, that's not who Arabella is. And she's a different kind of character. So it's creating something that not doesn't exist, but we're not used to seeing that isn't always, you know, so nothing springs to mind. So it's starting from scratch. And I think that's why the decision came to use a lot of vintage um, as well. Like I said, that's a lot what happens in East London, but also with the vintage and it gives you a different kind of look. It's quite unique and it's also timeless. And we didn't want anything that was too current fashion wise that would date easily. We wanted something that would you know, Arabella would have a look that hopefully in 10, 15 years time, you can still look back and be like, that's Arabella. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel like it was, you know, a 2019, 2020, sorry, trend. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it kind of transcends that. And then obviously, you've got Kwame, who's, you know, free loving, absolutely loves life is his best, you know, wants to live his best version of himself every day, present that to the world. And he does that through his playful jackets and his fun colors. He's, you know, very confident, you know, he's, he does exercise classes in unitards and, you know, sums up, you know, everything that he wears sums up who he is and who, what he wants to present to the world. And then you've got Terry who's sort of not in between the two, but she's in some ways when she's out, she dresses up, she's all out, she's sassy. This is my, you know, the best version again of herself. And then in the daytime, she's a little bit more pared back compared to Arabella, which is again, just trying to present real people is, was the main thing of this. And Although these are new people, like I said, to, to maybe the rest of the world, that these are people that we see walking on our streets and we wanted to represent them on camera and let people see, you know, kind of these fun creative people that live in London. You know,
0: I rewatched the last two episodes recently this week, and um you know, one thing that really struck me, um, at some point towards the end, she gets she gets her clothes back, right? It's like isn't is it is it from the police or something, those mm-hmm. and, and And obviously, so costume is literally a a plot point to a certain point. But it was interesting to me how much, and this is to your to your credit here, how much when I saw that sweater. It wasn't just this; something kind of came back to me, which I imagine is sort of coming back to her character in that sense of. I'm wondering what was some of the thought process in some of those um, those early choices of clothes that we were going to be seeing all the time, and that in, in particular, something like that sweater that that comes back.
1: So, that sweater, the one that belongs to Simon. So originally, when we were looking at, at sort of Simon's character, it was I think the things I was looking at fitting were black leather jackets, and then the discussion came with Sam, who was like, "No, I'd like something really visually." You know memorable so it's something that the audience can really clock onto and remember, and it really helped then you know to tell the story when we we do flashbacks, so we know, oh yeah, it's that night again, yeah, but it's this it's so something iconic, and with that, the jacket, for no particular reason, I saw it, and I just you know it was one of those things you know I was like this this could be really great, and with it 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 I think it was this was something that Sam had led, and I think it was a really smart move because, like you said, it became. You know, as, as the script developed and everything, it became a very poignant moment where, where the stuff, you know, was returned to her because, you know, it's an act. Here is a friend who's looking after her. She's cold outside. He's given her a jacket. It's an act of love and, you know, care and friendship. And then he's left her and she's got a cab back and this awful thing's happened to her. So something that was given to her in a nice moment, as then, you know, the meaning of kind of kindness and the thoughtfulness is just completely out the window. And it then becomes this jacket that just is a reminder of a really horrific event and you know becomes a very traumatic piece and it's interesting you know how a piece of clothing can go from you know at the beginning of the night it started off it give a character complete swag and then you know by the end of the series it's a really like you said it's quite an emotional piece when it's given back so it's Mm -hmm. I think it was really important that it was patterned so (laughs) yes and again the other jacket that was similar in terms of that kind of Aztec and Tarsia print is that the fluffy, the fur one that she wears, that she goes in the sea, that's on all the posters. Mm. Um, again, the, that moment where she wears it into a scene, which at the time caused me great pain <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, stress because it was the only one we had and it was a last minute <laughs> decision to do it. And I thought I was going to be sick. Um, but again, it was the right thing to do and, it's such a powerful moment because it's like, it feels like complete cleansing and rebirth of her character. She wears, she puts on this jacket to go back and see Biagio. She's, she puts back the old wig on. Everything is about going back to who she was. I can be this person. And then does all those crazy things. And Biagio chucks her out. And then she goes into the sea and it's like this cleansing, loses the wig and reemerges ready, you know, to face the next chapter in her life. So, and again, it's interesting that both of the prints ended up to be, you know, similar kind of vibe that, these two jackets ended up having so much meaning and, and so much airtime, but they both well, felt. They, what was really led them to me is they just felt like character-wise, they, there was something about them that was just Arabella that I can't sum up. I just saw them and was knew that they were, her.
0: Yeah, that, that the 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 image from the that whole beach scene in Italy is is one that just keeps coming back. Uh it, it, it if, you, if you're reaching for the iconic, it's it's there. Um,
1: oh, it was a horrible day. Honestly, I went down in a minibus and was like, no, you can't go in the sea, you can't.
0: Well, I mean, because, no, cause, I mean, not only could you ruin the jacket, right, but multiple takes become harder, right? It's like you have to...
1: Well, there was no, we knew that it was a one-take thing. Okay. The concern was is that we had to go back to London and shoot scenes on it prior to when this had happened. And I knew it was it was like a, a, a fake fur on top of a leather. So I knew with seawater, it was never going to be the same. And it wasn't. <laughs> and we spent hours combing it and conditioning it and trying to stretch it back out again. And I can notice, I don't know if it... Well, I know my team and I, we can notice scenes afterwards when we watch the series where it doesn't quite look the same. But mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else... I think we got away with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's because vi- basically it's a vintage piece, right? There's no, it's not something. No, you, it, well,
1: it wasn't vintage. It was from TK Maxx, which is just the same. You know, needle in a haystack, a one-off find. Um, okay. Never could, ever could have anticipated that they'd want to do that to it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you couldn't track down more of them. <laughs>
1: We'd already tried, and by that point, where they, like they made the decision ten minutes before, and I got called to set. I was like, "You can't, you can't." They're like, "Can we find another?" I was like, "We're in Italy. I've I've got no idea whether we can." But you know, we lived to tell the tale.
0: Um, we we're talking a little bit about um, the hair and the clothes in the beginning, and then the fact that um, Arabella's, you know, like that moment is 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 kind of one. It's kind of built in the story. She's trying to somewhat I don't know if reclaims the word or or tried to step into those into that that person again that she was. I, I'm curious uh about um the evolution of the character um in the different looks because it seems to be very specific when, you know, her her look does change. Her presence changes. You know, the hair certainly is a huge part of it, but it also feels like and then there's these moments that it feels like there's a conscious effort to go back or to try something else. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the evolution of the character as it goes to all these different specific story points throughout the, throughout the arc of the season.
1: Yeah, that was something that we discussed a lot at the beginning. You know, there was the thought process that maybe, you know, after the incident had happened, that you know, perhaps she would stop making an effort. Perhaps she would stop, you know, dressing in the way that she did. But then we thought about it. It was like, that's not really real life. You know, these things happen to people and you don't suddenly change your whole wardrobe and start dressing like a different person every day. There's, at first, you know, when you're trying to get your head around the idea, especially with in Arabella's case, where she's not sure what's actually happened and if she's been assaulted, it's the carry on as normal. So you see in the second episode, she dresses exactly the same as she did in the first episode. Then there's the realisation that, you know, of what's actually happened to her. And, and there's there becomes slight shifts to her wardrobe. Essentially, she's still the same. It's, you know, I have to carry on. This is my armour. This is what I wear. For a lot of women, you know, you know your best coat or wear. This is what you wear on a night out. It makes you feel powerful. You know, if you're going for an interview, a certain suit can make you feel a certain way. So there's that idea that, that clothes can be armour. And she carries on as she is. She's also then gets a point in her journey where she starts trying yoga and trying out art and trying out spray paint so there's the change in the wardrobe that's then appropriate for that there's suddenly into sportswear much more relaxed things for the yoga the the boiler suit because she's in the spray paint community and that's what they're all wearing and so you know and as she's trying these different avenues to try and explore who she is and and how she can recover from this you know she's just with that she's taking on the clothes that these people kind of wear as well um we've then got the more pared back stuff where she's you know where she walks out that day from Zane's house, and she just walks along wearing his shirt, which was meant to just be that, just wearing a boyfriend's, uh, you know, well, not her boyfriend, but the, the guy that she's with, his shirt. And so many people commented about that look, about her. They just <laughs> get picking up these trousers from the charity shop and boots. And literally, they were on my stock in a rail in the fitting room. I was like, well, what would it be? And she was like, well, just something rubbish, you know, something anything. I was like, what, like this? And this? she's like, perfect. And it was such a quick outfit to, to create but it has for a lot of people you know i don't know why a lot of people were were really fixated with that we've then I, wanna, in- I i, oh, I apologize i just want to
0: make sure i understand which which look you're talking about um, um I, I-
1: the one where she's she's stays at zane's house and she realizes she googles what stealthing is and she realized she may have been assaulted by him he'd taken off a condom so she leaves the house she's wearing a got shirt it. That, okay now. I, yeah. yeah, and, she, okay, and, now and I, literally we just like I said, we picked these trousers and boots from from out of nothing and just like, yeah, this is actually it, it needs to be not thought out, it needs to sorry, be. Sorry, that's different. my fault. You
0: explained it. I just didn't track no, no, the first that's, time that's I apologize. No, no problem.
1: Yeah. So that was kind of a, a happy accident, that costume. Mm-hmm. You know, was the can claim I can't claim any great design thought on that mm-hmm. one. Um, we've then got obviously that night where she's at the summit and she publicly outs him in front of all those people on the stage. And that was a costume we talked a lot about. I had this cardigan that she wears for it. That's, you know, her choice of do. you know, her idea of power dressing. Arabella would never wear a suit. So she's worn this cardigan that's kind of punky, that kind of aztec print again, which is very her. We put shoulder pads in it together, a silhouette. And she's got the shaved head at this point, but then she's got this lipstick, which is such a contrast. And it's this moment for the audience where we don't know quite what she's going to do. And the kind of costume really and the makeup for that really misdirects the audience because we don't know if she's, you know, if she's going to play ball or whether she's going to, you know, what she's going to do. And I think then it makes the result all the more shocking when she comes out and says what she does. And then from there, she quite rightly said, we have these moments where she, she decides to go back to Italy and see Biagio and feels like that's what she needs to do. And to do that, you know, in our mind, she needs to go back to who she was. So she puts on the wig from before um she puts on the the same coat that we go you know that we all know and like said it's that avenue like no this must be the answer this is the (laughs) thing I need to do for my recovery and realizes that it isn't and then it's the rebirth like we talked about walking into the sea and and coming out emerging thinking okay i'm going to try something different and that's pretty much i suppose what all of i may destroy you is about as as she's on this journey of recovery the the various avenues and things she explores the talking to friends the being angry the understanding the getting upset the you know the conscious efforts to heal through yoga and painting, mm-hmm. and that's what we try to show with with the wardrobe. And you know, then she goes home to her mum's house and decides that that's a good idea is to have dinner with the parents, and has this wonder, you know, this wonderful meeting with them. And she puts on a shirt because she feels she needs to be smart. It's her parents, and you know, she needs to to make an effort. So every every single costume was discussed with Michaela about what would you what would Arabella be thinking at this moment. Mm-hmm what's going through her mind. What, what should it be? Nothing is just, this will (laughs) do. It's, you know, (laughs) like like you said, it's consciously chosen right up until the, the last episode, which is, you know, bonkers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, let's, there was two looks I wanted to ask you about. Uh, One was we could jump right to the end. That was one of them because there's how do you handle the three sections and where we are in reality? But the, uh, well, let's just go there. What, what? How, yeah. how did you think about? Because the end is such a, um, you know, it, it's it's brilliant. But I have to imagine there's also this element of like it's such a standalone, different thing, you know, and a different thing even within itself in its three sections. I'm wondering what was the kind of conversation and approach to to that episode as a whole, but then also the different parts of it.
1: So. It took a while to understand the last episode. So when we're looking at earlier drafts, because obviously, like the audience as well, when we're reading the script the first time, we don't realise that the first thing isn't actually happening. We're, we're suddenly reading the script like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> she does this and she does that, and then and then it reverts back, um, and we realise obviously that it's it's like Groundhog Day and the same thing happens again. Mm. So. With that, obviously, there's the functional side of it. There's like, okay, it needs to be an outfit that we recognize some kind of shirt or something that we can keep seeing again and again so that the audience knows, oh, wait a minute, this moment is repeated. Um, And with that, there's also the the boring functional things is that, okay? there's going to be blood on this. There might be this involved. We can't use a vintage one-off piece. We need to use something that we can buy again and again, which... You know, it, it does shape then, you know, what you can use. Obviously, it limits your options.
2: Right,
1: right. Um, So there are, you know, we always have to look at those kind of things first, the logistics. Um, in the script, the first scenario, uh, Michaela had written about a waterproof dress because she spits her drink into it. So I think she'd written, you know, waterproof, then that's something easily we could reset it, we could wipe the drink off and do it again because otherwise you lose hours of shooting time not so it's then this idea of okay what would arabella's version of a waterproof dress be i thought it'd probably be pvc or something something (laughs) mad and then the search starts and we start to look for things and and that dress you know is meant to be quite dreamlike as well it's meant to be you know obviously it's surreal it's it's not real it's so it was trying to get costumes that felt like arabella but that you know so the audience at this point would believe that actually she you know. This is this could be happening. Is this happening? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it's kind of super real, if that makes sense, kind of heightened reality. And we chose to have in that scene, you've got Terry and there's also, oh, I can't remember her name. Why have I forgotten her name? The other lady that's with her. Oh,
0: yes, yes, yes. Um,
1: Harriet Webb. The- though, is, it the- is, it, is it Theo? Theo. That's it, Theo.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, she, again, is in black too and has got these kind of, detective you know their idea is that they're spying and they're out at it charlie's angels so it's it's really silly when you look at it one's in yeah, the yeah. bucket hat hiding and, and one's <laughs> in the pvc and the mad wig and but also having you know like i said it's straddling that line of reality and fantasy that it's like well actually that is something you know having seen halloween and how the girls went out it's quite likely they could have done this on a night out yeah uh, and then having that contrast between the rest of the people in in the bar who are just dressed you know for a normal Thursday night drink um but yeah so there was lots of discussions about that and then obviously for the next two scenarios it was keeping her in the same costume that she starts them in uh the like I told you about sort of that groundhog moment and deciding not to change them we made the decision to keep them the same because there was there could have been the opportunity to do a different look for each Mm -hmm. scenario but I think then that didn't communicate to the audience that we were averting this you know we were going back to the same moment and that actually these were all just possibilities.
0: That was of course costume designer Lindsay Moore and before we switch gears and talk to I May Destroy You director Sam Miller a brief message from our presenting sponsor. The HBO Max original series Hacks, starring Gene Smart, explores a dark mentorship that forms between Deborah Vance, played by Smart, a legendary Las Vegas comedian, and an entitled outcast 25 year old, played really well by uh, stand up Hannah Einbender. It's for your Emmy consideration for outstanding comedy series and all other categories. And seriously, just give this show all the awards. I, I'm obsessed with this one. <laughs> it just booked uh, one of the creator directors uh, to come on the podcast for after the finale on June 10th. But in the meantime, uh, the first six episodes as of today are streaming on HBO Max. And now for my conversation with I May Destroy You director Sam Miller. You know, I read I read last night, Sam, that... Uh, Michelle said she wrote like 191 drafts of of, of uh I I may destroy you. I don't know if that's an exaggeration or not, but it seems like it's this constantly evolving uh evolving process. Um I'm wondering where and when on the merry ground uh you joined this this process and kind of your role in it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think when Michaela and I first met and started talking about it, we had I think there was one whole complete episode one which was fairly strong the pilot episode was fairly fixed and probably four or five drafts you know of the next you know one to two to five so she was still right in the middle of the writing process and she definitely had things you know obviously in better shape than that but she w- weren't able to see them yet so the uh the process was still very much um her writing process was still very much on and very much happening during that
0: and this um, isn't a this isn't a traditional writers room right the way this is working
2: no this isn't a traditional no <laughs> this is michaela this is michaela <laughs> michaela is the writing room and it was always going to be like that you know and it was uh yeah it was a it was a it became a really i mean i love those early stages when we first all sat down with val the executives of val the script editor of val um and we started to really talk about where the series was going and what was happening in the series. And it was more really plugging into her imagination and plugging into where she saw the story moving and shifting and changing. Just to be clear,
0: Val, Val is not a person. It's the producing element, right? It's Val a is the production
2: company in the yeah. UK, yeah.
0: And they they're, 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 they take a very active, creative role here. They're right. They're they're basically they're almost like a feedback loop in terms of notes and, yeah. and story. In the
2: British in the sort of British sense of that. They're very yeah. We're very much at that stage um, of formulating drafts before they go forward to the BBC or to HBO. So they're very much. Um, it's the first stage of the scripts emerging, the story emerging at that stage. So, mm-hmm.
0: You directed all the episodes, right? Yes. Um, and so at what point are you starting to talk about how this is going to be shot and and doing all the elements of getting prepared on your end and, and seeing how, you know, this is going to be filmed and translated? Uh, yeah. I'm wondering, you know, because I, I imagine you're maybe talking specifically about the strong pilot or, yeah. or I don't know.
2: So we're we're probably, you know, quite soon after that, we're into, you know, going on Tech Scouts to Italy to work out how the Italian episode is going to work and what's there for us and how we make that work. We're formulating a plan about how we're, the, you know, the kind of London we're working with, you know, how London features and the, the sort of sense of London in the stories. Um. There's probably a moment, there's probably after a, a few months of, you know working alongside and pre pre production happening you know in terms of getting heads of department in place in terms of getting a team together, there's a point where we slightly depart and the Michaela has to sink even further into writing and we, the production have to head off and try to start to sort of flesh out this flesh out how we're going to do it and where we're going to do it and what what the uh you know what the locations are going to be, how the casting is going to work so
0: I'm wondering just kind of big picture. In terms of, I mean, obviously um, her writing is probably the best touchstone for you, but I'm wondering yeah. in conversations with Michaela, what are kind of some of the elements here of talking about how this should look, this feel, and even just this element of blocking and rehearsing and, and yeah. finding scenes? I'm wondering what are kind of the big things that you guys are working out early in this? Well,
2: I think the the sense of London, the London that we both recognize, we connected on quite quickly you know, in terms of that, the strip of London, how London, you know, there's a particular area of London, which is, you know, from sort of Dalston down to Shoreditch, then across to Soho, with a bit of Clerkenwell and, and a bit of, um, uh, a bit of Bethnal Green, you know, that that area of London felt the felt the place where the story existed strongest, you know, where they, and we, as a production, very much felt we were going to make our story work in this place, so this the kind of locations and the and the the topography of the episode started to form out of something that's real and exists, and it's also something that Michaela and I know really well. You know that that area, that part of London, felt very alive to us. Um, it was also something that you know I'd, f- you know, in the times doing Luther and doing a series called Relic, you know, it, it was very much a sort of channel that we'd worked. You know, Luther was very much, although it was a totally different sort of um, it lived in a different universe, but that area of London is very much something. It's kind of similar to, you know, probably similar to, uh, you know, Greenpoint or Williamsburg, I guess, you know, how that features with um, Manhattan, you know, that, that it's kind of a, it's got a sort of scuzzy energy to it. That's kind of, it's always happening. It's always alive. It's always different. Everybody's there. You know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's kind of the most busiest area of London, I think
0: what about you've done a lot of television what about an element of finding scenes rehearsing scenes there's something so precise about what's happening here but there's in that preciseness there's a lot of jagged edges there's a lot of ambiguity and it feels like to a certain degree I'm just wondering even how these scenes are blocked and rehearsed and and how they it's if this is a constantly evolving process how how scenes and episodes evolve in in just shooting them
2: it's a really good question. I mean, I I, I think we both, both Michaela and I share a, a slightly sort of chaotic three-dimensional view of the process. You know, we see the process as a live process, as something that happens on the day now, rather than, you know, you might have in your head, you've got certain, you know, places you're trying to go and places you're trying to take the imagery. But the actual thing that happens between the actors, the actual sort of, you know, the the electricity or the lightning happens on the day that you film it. Um, I think we both intuitively sort of veer away from things that feel like they might be alluding to television tropes. You know, so I think we both intuitively sort of try to spike those. You know, we try to find the little sort of edges to scenes, you know, try to find the, you know, the kind of moments between beats, Mm -hmm. you know, the unexpected moments in scenes, you know, that characters have that we have all the time in life. But that sort of keys you into the people in a different way, I think. Um I mean all of that is possible because Michaela's written scripts where, you know, the characters aren't serving the plot. You know, the characters are the story. You know, that you're not you're not working with, you know, situations where the, you know, where the actors are being asked to serve plot. They really are they're they're all intrinsically interesting. You know, so and they all have their stories. Some some we tell more than others. Mm -hmm. And so the casting right the way down, you know, right the way through has to be so detailed to allow that to be the case, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that connected us and certainly connected me with her writing that I thought there's a, you know, there's huge opportunity to just be incredibly real in this space and to let the actors really find things that they're not necessarily accustomed to finding and to go further.
0: I want to step inside that a little bit. Mm. Um, How, Uh, obviously in a constant rewriting process to what degree are the shape of scenes and to some degree dialogue, what's on the page by the time you get on set is the Mm. thing versus, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is the actors finding their way and, and trying different things, but how much of that is, is, is purely an acting thing versus Dialogue shifts, maybe scenes shift, maybe there's a rewriting in the shooting process, or is, is 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 the written page a little bit? It is what it is. By the time you're on on set, the written
2: the written page was never sort of treated as sacred. But I would say that there there wasn't as much there wasn't um, there wasn't an enormous amount of improvisation. You know, her writing so strong and so good. You know that it, we weren't. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't overly improvised at all. There was no need to over improvise, you know, because the writing was so strong. So it wasn't like, um, you know, we might make little changes or there might be little line amends or some things, you know, to, to make things play. But we weren't you weren't looking at a scenario where we were taking things totally apart and then trying to rebuild them at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was tighter than that. And the writing was tighter than that and is tighter. So.
0: And what's the process like? I mean, I realize every scene is different also, but but yeah. but. But in general, we got a two-three character scene. Um, mm. There's an interaction. To what degree, especially when they're moving, not sitting. Mm. But th- mm. how much of that is okay? Um, rehearse, figure that out. Like, figure out what's going to happen in terms of the actors and their movement. Yeah. And and then and then figure out the camera or the camera follows them. I'm just trying to understand kind of like the like you walk on the set. You got these pages. Yeah. Where, it's,
2: how do you... it's a kind of strange thing to properly grasp that sometimes because it's so, when, when it works well, it feels incredibly organic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be, I'd be, you know, you'd always sort of protect the space for the early rehearsals so the actors, you know, we're completely alone on the floor. You know, that there is no one watching the early rehearsals until the thing feels secure and feels like we found what we need to find. And then the, I would invite the, um, you know, my, my um, camera person in to start watching the shape of that. And at that stage i'm probably slightly angling the scene so that i know that we can you know find the the shots we want out of it you know so you're slightly kind of you might be moving it around the room a little bit or you know to to increase the sort of shooting potential of the of the scene without losing its um you know without losing the truth that the actors are finding you know from from their first sort of approach to it so i mean it's it's all that kind of process for me is all built around making the actors feel incredibly secure and incredibly you know totally at the center of the process you know they feel that they're they feel that they're governing the shots when in actual fact you're probably you're helping it quite a lot and you're moving it quite a lot to sort of change things but um it's a very organic process that you know it's a hard again the camera person I'd worked with on quite a few projects and brought on the designer i'd brought from you know from luther and from um relic you know so we there's a big shorthand in terms of what we're looking for and how we're looking to shape it at that point Mm -hmm. you know the designer probably knows you know has a lot of confidence in his his own instincts because of the work we've done in the past so you know you're kind of you're 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 trying to get people to really play above their game all the time Mm -hmm. you know so that everyone feels they're contributing you know at their top top levels really so
0: well, one thing one thing that really impresses me is the movement and the energy of these scenes, and it very mm. much is keying off um, Michaela's character there. Yeah, one hundred percent. But but to you know, we're often in small spaces. their yeah. They're locations. They're 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 accurate. Yeah. You know, they're they're yeah. and 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 yet beyond being aware, her bedroom's not that big, or that yeah. we're in some you know yeah. flat that's not like some grand loft. It, it, there seems to be an organic way of even just finding movement, and the way yeah. the camera could be in there because yeah. you know I've watched a lot of independent films shot in small spaces. And yeah, yeah, you can you can almost feel the math of like how the hell are we going to do this? Yeah, you know? and it seems I, to be something it keys off her, I think, to a certain degree because there's so it, much I energy think it does key off from,
2: her movement a lot, and it also keys off doing things that are totally natural to the movement in the scene rather than putting it on top of the scene. I guess you know that you're you're finding those movements from within rather than superimposing things, I guess. I mean, we, it was curiously when we built the, uh, you know, um, Arabella's apartment was a build because we were in there for such a long time, it made right, sense right, right. to make it as a build. And curiously, in the, in the process of developing that space, we kept making it smaller. We kept making it smaller and smaller and smaller because <laughs> we were terrified that it would, if it became too big, we'd become spoiled. You know, and suddenly the camera's too far away. Suddenly it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like London anymore. You know, it looks like you're in a big space. And I've seen that happen. And, uh, you know, that, that's a real, it's a real trap when you're given too much space to move the camera. You know, so it was a really interesting process to kind of think, no, actually, we, could we make it just a touch, a touch smaller each side? And we get bringing the dimensions in. And, uh, you know, you say, well, that's a limiting thing for a filmmaker, but actually that limitation becomes the exciting thing about it. You know how you then move the camera within that, and how you then tell that story, and you're safe that you're not really, you know, it's harder to you're 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 looking for the truth all the time rather than, you know, just a filmic truth, really. I suppose.
0: This might be a a, a, a packed question that maybe takes a few to unpack, <laughs> but uh, but and please please bear with me if you don't understand yeah. it. But that you know, obviously. Um, she has written a character in an experience um, that is clear and yeah. that she knows. And yet that character is exploring that character yes. is, 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 is it's about embracing uh, an unknown and ambiguity. Yeah. And there's yeah. something about also just her character in general that yeah. there's like an energy, like an intelligence and a sharpness, but also a, a, a fuzziness in this, in this, Intense situation she's going through, yeah. and so much of these scenes. I was rewatching a lot of it last night. That's embodied in her. Yeah, Do you know, it's, it, it's. I'm not saying it's not in the writing, but it's so yeah. embodied in her. It's so embodied in her unique physicality. Yeah, which I don't know if that physicality is in is is in Michaela every day or if yeah. that's like been manufactured for this character, but when you're talking, when I listen to you talk about shooting in these scenes and finding that truth and working yeah. in space, I instantly think of these tight shots on her yeah, and yeah. this energy in these reactions. Yeah. I'm very curious about, this in terms of your collaboration with her yeah this is the creator this is the lead yes but you are helping her figure out if she's nailed this and got this yeah because it's such a fascinating performance with such ambiguity and such physicality yeah i'm really curious about how the two of you reach that or how you follow her lead and and engage those things
2: yeah i mean that's a it's a yeah, that's a, it's a mysterious thing for me that, you know, it's a mysterious how we, because also when the, the, in our process, there was a point where, you know, I had to sort of take the unit and go into major sort of pre-production to get the thing up and running, to get the schedule in place to, to work out how we're going to do it. While she dived off and had to, and went for the, through the most intensive sort of writing piece to finish the writing before we started shooting. And then there was this sort of strange period where we'd been working together as exec producers, as director, writer, you know, and there's this strange part where she arrives and we're on set together. We're going to start, you know, she's going to start finding this performance and I'm going to start finding out, you know, how the camera is going to work with her. You know, having done camera tests before, having done um, some intimacy rehearsals before, but never, you know, it's a, it was a, how we then... you know, for me, it was how to find her vision the whole time, how to find what was in her head the whole time and be able to reflect that back to her. And I was curious as to how much I needed to protect her from that process, you know, because I thought, you know, as as my my instinct was, you know, my lead actress, I want to shield her from some of the, you know, the mechanics of filmmaking, the mechanics of how we do this thing. Because at that stage, that's not, that's not going to help her. She needs to just be lost and in control and sort of concentrating on performing. Um, so, I mean, in truth, I don't think I. You know, she Michaela's so strong. You know, and her her understanding of her task and understanding of what we were doing was so clear that um I think she probably protected me more than I protected her. <laughs> you know, it was a really, but it was a really interesting. You know, that that. And it's a long process. You know, we were filming for nearly six months together. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole process, to, we were together for 15 months making it. So it was a very sort of complicated, intricate thing to work out how to do that. You know, not for me to come in and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I've done this many, many times. <laughs> yeah. I think we should do this and we should do that. And then we're, you know, to And I, I think I tend to work, I'm quite a, I like to break things down in a way that doesn't, you know, I like to kind of surprise myself with, how the camera works. I, I almost, you know, I find myself when I when I'm about to start shooting, I forget how to edit. I almost sort mm. of start to wipe my mind clear to just see things, and it's a strange, scary sort of process because mm. it's like you forget how to do it, and it's almost that you've got to get to that terrifying place where you've got no idea what you're doing in order to then find it again. And so I'll sometimes spend the first week of a shoot kind of playing with different things. I might start, you know, I. Tried a, I, I remember in the first week I tried some sort of, you know, we did some zoom-ins and tracks. I was sort of playing with the camera, you know, getting a feel for different things and to see how they felt and how the things work. And I mean, that's a, it's a sort of, uh, and you have to make time within your schedule to do that, to be, to be able to do that. Um, and I don't know that I'm altogether ever, <laughs> clear that's just my process you know i I couldn't i couldn't hand on heart say to anyone oh by the way the first week might be a little bit bumpy you know we might do some things that will surprise you we might experiment with the way the lenses work but um i know that i'm doing that and i'm sort of testing things and trying things and pushing things um and for her to just trust me at that stage and to just to 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 it was just she. I mean, she's immensely confident and immensely. She believes in her choices, you know, which is an incredible. It's an incredibly, um, I don't know. It's an amazing thing when you work with people that are sure of their choices. Therefore, they're sure of you and they're going to back you, mm-hmm. you know. And I felt I found that with the way that we worked. You know, we were we were both open to getting the best out of each other, and for me, I had to do that. Otherwise, there was I had no place on the set because I was serving her vision and I was also helping her you know deliver this performance that was central to this whole piece that was central to the whole thing mm-hmm. so but I, I couldn't tell I suppose there were times I didn't know how shaken she might be by some of the things she was going to have to go through again you know I didn't I also didn't know how you know her her stamina to, to endure a shoot that long you know to be this you know on on state you know on, in front of the camera most hours of most days how that was going to be for her how she would be able to sustain that um so all of those things were kind of slightly unknown but it was an amazing experience you know and a very we found something you know we found a way that we found that um complementary way to 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 deliver it you know so it was a really it was a really satisfying creative experience um
0: I'm, I'm curious about you're talking about her choices and her performance. You know, I, I obviously don't, I've never been in a room with her. Like you have just, mm. just, just Michaela, not, mm. not Arabella, but you know, the, the few interviews I've seen or the few things that I I've seen of her on camera. Uh, I actually, it's actually a little bit stunning after I may destroy you because there's a, there's a stillness to her. There's like a yeah. poise, and I, I don't know. That may just be Michaela doing interviews or when yeah. she's on camera. I don't know, but my sense is the energy and the physicality of Michaela uh, of uh, Arabella is yeah. performance. It's yes. not. It's not Michaela. I, yes. I don't know if that's true, but like yes. I'm wondering, we're talking about choices. And also the way that your camera is going to react to, to those, how much in those first few episodes, is it also about like figuring out that performance and yeah. it, how much, cause often you're tight. And so she has this very expressive face that doesn't yeah. require as much, Yes, you know, yes, but it's yes. like, and it, 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 I just wondered how much of, that is also something because not only are you having to react to her and, fig- and you, your, your team did a wonderful job of capturing yeah. her energy in the yes. camera and her world yes. in the camera, but even just to get that energy up top, what what is that collaboration like? Is it her coming over and looking at a monitor? Is it yeah. is it you and her having discussions about things and I movement?
2: Th- I think she she quickly. I don't. It's hard. To, you know, it's so personal mm-hmm. and it's such a an organic it's right at the organic sort of center of the whole (laughs) things about, you know, how that, how that evolves and how that happens, you know, and, and and when that, you know, I think I, I became, I became very, I think I became quite good at reading when there was something undone or when something, you know, when there was more to get from something, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would reach a point where I think I, I know, I feel I've, you know, we've achieved what we need to achieve the scene and I would feel there was something if I could feel there was something from her that we'd not done and I very you know I I I learned to really love that and to quickly react to that because that that made it better you know we could go even further Mm -hmm. you know I think sometimes we had a lot of discussions about how the you know framing worked with comedy you know and how to not sit on the comedy too much you know so it was a real um to get the tone of the piece right to allow it to be funny you know seemed really important to us Mm-hmm. and i completely understood that from the beginning and i completely also saw the shortcomings of feeling the you know feeling the earnest switch coming in you know where you you start to become too serious about something mm-hmm. you know and then you kind of kill it because you're so serious you take it so seriously and you push the audience away from it so we were we were both very aware of how we wanted the the comedy to sit within the piece and then also, but also then also then the lightness of the way it's filmed you know that it's not filmed too heavily, it's not filmed too sort of. We're making something very significant, you know. It mm-hmm. doesn't have that kind of, you know, earnestness to it. I suppose that was something we we really didn't want it to have. We wanted it to be light and throwaway and gentle and, f- you know, for f- you know, kind of reactive and um smart and not, you know, so it didn't. I mean, I think you can see that in the editing as well. It's not so. You know, we don't it, it sit on things too long or show ourselves as filmmakers too much. You know, it doesn't sort of... You know, those long, lingering wide shots where nothing happens, you know, because you think that... You know, it, we sort of got eschewed a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, th- so I, th- I think that was the, really the learning curve as we went along was to keep honing and developing that, keep mm-hmm. finding it, keep finding it, keep finding how the camera... I mean, bizarrely, we I think we we ended up shooting an enormous amount of the program on the same lens. A, a lot of the series was shot on one lens. And we, we, you know, if you'd have said that to me before, I'd have said, well, that's quite an interesting idea, but I wouldn't want to commit to that. Mm-hmm. But as we progressed, this lens just came back and came back, which is often the case. I mean, often there is a lens that sort of jumps out of the box, and that's the lens, you know. But I think something like 80% of the, of the 12 programs are shot on the same lens. So what, what
0: size is the lens? What millimeter? It's a 29
2: mil. Uh, yeah yeah so quite wide as well
0: uh it it, it, in and i assume this is i mean obviously it's not traditional coverage but are you are you also shooting a lot are you is is, are you burning like i i i guess actually let me even cut to a bigger question here like if you're in the i mean edit's never easy if you have a lot of footage or a little footage but i mean in the edit, do you have a ton of choices? Are you are you really modulating different
2: performances
0: and energies
2: or is if, it... if I feel something's not quite working, then I shoot a lot. You know, if I feel mm-hmm. something's not quite landing or I can see there's there's some tonal changes that we want to experience or have in control, then I shoot lots. Mm-hmm. But I am generally quite economic, I generally quite I think it shows you know, it's a it's it's a better process not to kind of kill the actors on every take, you know, not to kill the kill the thing on every take. You know, so that when you do go to take 15, 16, 18, 20, mm-hmm. there's a reason, you know, you, you're it's mm-hmm. unusual. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't subscribe to that school where, you know, it's, you've got to make, everyone's got to have their fingers, have all got to be bleeding and they've got to be exhausted. You know, I don't subscribe to that um, school of, you know, there's always a better take. Cause I, I do think you often, you hit it and when you hit it, you've got to know it. You know, and that's not to say you don't then run over to see if there's more or if there's something else. But you often come back to that second or third take or sometimes the first take, you know, because, you, you know, you've got it. So, um, again, I, I I like that part of the process. I like the limitations of that. You know, if I didn't have limitations, I would be there forever, you know, and we'd all be there forever. Mm-hmm. You know, but the fact you've got these sort of, uh, you know, the thing is broken down and you have to achieve certain things. I, I enjoy that challenge of it. I think I'm also one to never really show um, the pressure of the time. I don't really ever feel time pressure when I'm working, and that's a, a strange thing to say. But I let other people worry about that. And I, but I, <laughs> in my back, in my back of my head, I know where I am in the day, and it, and I'm normally I'm normally can survive the day. I normally know where the holes are in the day. You know the pieces that are going to move quicker, the pieces mm-hmm. that are not going to need, need as much attention. So I think I've sort of broken up the day in my head as to where I need to, you know, dig in and really investigate.
0: I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, and and, and also how this evolves with the story and the the kind of thought process in pre-production of of her becoming Arabella in terms Mm. of costume in terms of hair, mm. in terms of um, because there is a physical transformation to a certain degree yeah. of her that I have to imagine had to be part of the process of her finding that character. Yes. But then it's really interesting how those things become huge story elements. Like yes. you can kind of track where she, you know, where yeah. she is in her journey yes. based on how she's presenting herself. And I'm yeah. wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, how that all went down.
2: I it was I found it dazzling how the looks of of uh, Arabella came together, and um that was really driven by her. It was really driven and a fantastic costume designer, uh, Lindsay. But there they, I was, I was exhilarated by how audacious her taste and her the way she wanted to push the costumes, and I very quickly enjoyed seeing you know the kind of. Uh, I don't know, the the bigger story of the costumes, you know, it felt to really echo. I was always saying to Lindsay, I'd have loved someone to have done a piece on the different looks of Arabella. And you can see the 12 episodes, you know, going across, you know, and the, the way her looks changed and, you know, transformed. And as she experimented with different parts of her life, you know, different things in her life, you know, I thought that alone was, it was really nicely done. And again, for me, that was, that was to do with lightness. It was a little bit audacious. It was daring, you know, it wasn't sort of, it, you know tv realism it was although they were they weren't um but it was it was using it was using costume in a really sort of bold daring way i thought so i was very excited by that
0: is there something early on where everything started to click and it was like ah this is it you know was there something was it even just in the pilot was there something where it was you know something really came together that was tricky that really kind of signaled yep this is this, um, is, this is this is this is i may destroy you
2: I think when we, I think we'd been shooting for six weeks when we went out to to shoot in Italy and that was kind of testing in terms of taking our, what we were doing in London and transposing it with, you know, not the whole of our crew, you know, some Italian crew and different people. And so that was a real sort of test of strength as to where we were at and how strong we were and how robust we were to do that. And I think for us it we kind of felt it then you know you kind of thought, no, we re- whatever we were doing in London, it's as strong here, and you could feel the Italian crew getting it. you could feel people coming to it, you could feel people kind of getting behind us mm. and so i and i I think the yeah, there was the technical to achieve Italy in quite a sort of limited window and quite a limited space it was a you know it was it wasn't straightforward, there was a lot of pressure on it, yeah. but I think that was when I really felt you know we were kind of you know everything was working now mm-hmm. you know the strength was there and the and the crew and the the approach was there so
0: it's true though yeah. cuz i i think about this in terms of my favorite tv shows all the time when they leave their element they often lose a piece of themselves, that's you know, true, it's yeah, like, it's true, like, is they, it? It, it, even, even some of my favorite ones, it's just like, Oh God, they're going to Italy or they're yeah. going to, it's that's just like, be terrible, gonna, think, you yeah. know, the West wings going to California, even though they're yeah. in California, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know, it's like, it's, it, it, there is that element, right. Oh yeah. yeah. With TV. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's true. Isn't it? It's, it's a test. It's a sort of yeah. test of the storytelling and test of the, uh, the, yeah. the, the strength behind it, I guess.
0: So, yeah, the, yeah, the 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 Italian the moment for me where the series just and it seems to be a big, maybe it was also a moment that you guys were working towards, but when she does go back to Italy and she has that scene at the door um, with Bellagio, Bellagio by, yeah, by yeah, and, sure, yeah. and, and you know she surprised him and then there's that confrontation at the door which gets yeah. I think for you, tonally, that's that thing where it's like, okay, this is serious, but we can have a little, and then she ends up in the, in the water. Yeah. Uh, that is such a huge moment that came together so beautifully. I'm wondering, were you guys always pointing towards that? Was that something that you would you know, figure it out there in terms of how that was going to work? Because it's such a transcendent moment of the series.
2: I think the, the 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 big thing with the the argument of the door was to stay on Arabella's side and not to cut inside that much onto Piaggio mm-hmm. you know the intensity for 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 Arabella um the sea That we shot more of the sea we shot her coming out of the sea as well which we didn't actually use we just shot her going into the sea waking up on the on the, on the and going out um Yeah. I mean, that was, it felt great that, I mean, we were very excited by that and there were some other really interesting image making things that went on there, which we ended up jettisoning, jettisoning. Um, But again, just to keep it really cut down and, and not indulge it. You know, there was, there was a, there was some real comedy moments when she came out of the water, but in the edit we decided not to use them. You know, we just came out on her just going into the sea.
0: We're talking about tone. We're talking about memory. We're talking about, um, you know, not taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. But the show is ultimately about trauma. Yes. And, and rape. Yes. And these things are not connected and are these things are the, the this element of memory and that are not, are not removed from that. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if, you know, that approach, because you're obviously, I assume, you know, you're leading towards that end. Like you yes. kind of know how big you're going to go with that. End, yes. Yes. Which is had to be stunning when everybody read that thing. Yeah. But I mean, um, but I'm just curious, though, about that element of that sense of memory, that sense of how to recollect things, and as that's mounting towards a, yeah. a finale. But then also how that relates in terms of trauma, assault, and and this tone element, right? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I, I think the brilliance of the series lies in that, in terms yes. of how it's approaching trauma, but. to a certain degree on a micro level, I think that's got to be hard in, in, in scenes and, and certain elements. No.
2: Yeah. I think it was, um, I mean, I think the, the, the kind of hugeness of 12, you know, the kind of how broad and brave and, um, imaginative 12 was, you know, and someone dealing with what had happened to them and going through this, you know, through these sequences. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I it, it, it was all, you know, that kind of the empathy for every moment and the complexity of every moment and the kind of belief that that would hold together and the belief that that kind of, you know, makes amazing drama was, um, you know, was from Michaela's writing and then, you know, beautifully acted by her. It has another layer to it as well, of course, because it's about a writer writing, trying to find the words to write about and trying to find the words to describe it. So, you know, your your lead character is not only, you know, t- you know, is trying to, you know, fulfill a book deal to finish a story, which is about the thing that's traumatizing, which is about the thing she has to keep going back to try and understand or try and grapple with. So it's uh, it's many layers to that, you know, and it, and it was left as being many layers, you know, as not being one thing, I guess. Um, to
0: a certain degree, it seems as if the show is a little bit about the making of the show, the like yes. creative process of dealing with this trauma. And yeah. that seems to be what the ending is to a certain degree. About. Yeah. How do I how do I write the end of this for myself? Right. Yes.
2: Yes. Abs- absolutely. That is exactly it. Yeah. It's like going through the different do going through. Doing your process, you know, to understand what's happened to you and to reach an understanding for the, the you know, so that you're not the victim of the narrative, I guess, mm-hmm. um, was was what she was saying.
0: All right. But, so let's uh, talk about that last episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, I, I you know, I, I think if we think about them in sections or chapters, I, I, to a certain degree, right from the beginning, um, it seems to be that one of the hard things for you is to signal what's real, what's not, you know, like almost to change the style a little bit yes. because you're not, you're not doing, Ooh, ooh this is yeah, a fantasy yeah. or this is, you know, it's, it has to feel real, but also you're signaling something's a little bit different here. Right. Yes.
2: Yes. I mean, the trick, the, the first, the first sequence is to take the audience into onto a journey where they think it is real, mm-hmm. you know? So there's a, there's a point that you, you think this is the most horrific ending I could possibly imagine is to sort of, go back and find this person, drug them, take them to the street and pound them to death. You know, Mm -hmm. the brutality of it. Um, I suppose in some ways we were trying to, yeah, keep our adventurous spirit through that, as well as, you know, letting it be shocking, letting it be graphic, letting it be, you know, deeply disturbing. And then, you know, it's almost like three visitations, you know, three potential, three possible outcomes. Mm -hmm. none of which are actually the true, the true outcome. You know, the true outcome is just, she decides not to go anymore and realizes that she can't, you know, so it's a three sort of, um, kind of macabre fantasy scenarios Mm -hmm. that she's exploring in order to finish her story in order to try and feel cured.
0: But it seems also like a conscious decision to shoot each three differently, right? Yes. So what was the approach to the second one? I wonder,
2: um, so long since I watched the second one.
0: And that's the one where she shows a lot of empathy towards him, I think. right? Oh yeah. My it,
2: God, that's such a strange thing, isn't it? That's such a difficult piece That. Yeah. I mean that, that, yeah, that's so difficult. Yeah. We kept that piece. We've kept that feeling incredibly real, you know, incredibly, you know, we were incredibly close on it. Um,
0: that one's the one where I felt like, Oh, this is really happening. Yeah. And I was kind of right, stunned that I kind of stunned yeah. that she went there, you know?
2: Yeah. That's, it's very it's deeply troubling, isn't
0: it? I, was that hard to film? I have to imagine that one was a little.
2: Um, we had a fantastic actor, Lewis, who was playing the. Um, who's, who's playing David and and he he, was really funny. He managed to bring a real lightness to it the whole time and lightness to the process. Mm-hmm. And um, so it it wasn't as troubling as you'd think it was. It wasn't as because they both applied themselves so well as actors within to it you know and there was such a sort of um yeah preciseness about everything that was happening you know everything they did so
0: so did you have any reservations about this when you went to film it i mean it's one of these things where it's like i i i'll I'll just be honest with you if someone had described the end to me i would have been like after watching 11 i would have been like but it, it works, it you know, yeah. it, it completely works. But I'm wondering, in, is, is this just an ultimate faith in, in, the, in, in the in the? I just wonder what you if you had reservations uh, it, or concerns it, it, or even just uh, questions uh, about how this was going to be handled.
2: When we when Mikado first handed the draft of 12, when we first read the draft of 12, the, the three endings or the three sequences were started occurred sort of halfway through the sequence, and it was very much, um, I was very keen that the episode started with those three, you know, that they became the sort of showpiece for it. So that was um, not that she needed to be, you know, that was part of her her process, but um, there was, I was really excited by the fact that she was able to go into the different, you know, psyches and different places within that, explore them, and then still come out and say, the only way is to move forwards. The only way of moving forwards is to move forwards. So um, I thought it was a very successful way in a very audacious way for her, you know, for Arabella, the writer to reach the place she needed to, to deliver the novel, you mm-hmm. know, to reach the end. Yeah. So, but I can't speak, you know, it's very much how, how an audience reacts to it, whether they feel, whether they go with it, whether they, whether they, um, you know, whether they engage.
0: Are you, did you did you stay with this all? The, I don't know how the British television system works. Did you stay with these throughout the edit? Did you did you were you yes. part of the ed, you were in the edit yes. room for all of these? Yes. And I assume Michaela is as well. Yes. Okay. Was it always baked in that there was going to be so many needle drops, and that was part of the energy? Yes. Was were were even the specific needle drops written in?
2: Um, uh, no, I think we found most of them. Maybe two of them were written in, but I think we found most of them. Yeah. very healthy
0: had to be a very healthy music budget i have to imagine it was indeed i I, I was watching it with the closed captions and every time i see a name like oh it's not janelle Monet track out there it was was indeed i know know. we
2: were blessed really to be able to do that Uh, yeah that was good
0: because it's part of the energy of the show right i mean that's kind of it if you were describing in the beginning this the discussion of the london streets
2: the yeah. music's part of that right and and also not to really have there's no score as such you know the needle drops are the score you know the songs are used either very up front across or even back you know in the background but then there's no we're not we, we're not resorting to score at all i don't think throughout all right
0: well sam you've been very generous for your time thank you it's
2: congratulations on the series thank you chris lovely talking to you